The technology landscape is exploding, and it has never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. There's so much information out there, it can be hard to know where to start or who to trust. Your host, David Paul, is a seasoned venture capital investor that has founded his own investment firm, DWP Capital. He's a straight shooter that cuts through all the noise to bring you real and authentic conversations with investors, founders, and operators in the startup ecosystem. Join him each week to stay current with today's trends and get smarter about startups and tech investing. Hey, everybody, this is David Paul, the host of the Capital Stack podcast, where we talk to entrepreneurs, founders, and tech investors, all things value creation and startups. Today, I am with the Ray Carvalho, who is the founder and executive chairman of Wealth. Wealth is the first comprehensive estate planning platform that provides a holistic view of all your assets, which are visualized and securely stored in one place. Uh, Ray is no stranger to the startup world. He was the former uh, founder and CEO of Emailage, which was a platform that provides transactional risk assessment by scoring email data for organizations around the world. Emailage was acquired by LexisNexis for $480 million in February of 2020. Ray, how are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for inviting. You're not uh, really good at retiring, huh? That's my wife. <laughs> so yeah, I'm a very anxious guy and the mind can never stop. So yeah, but nothing's forced, right? Things come to my mind and I have to follow it. Nothing, I'm not a kind of guy that's kind of looking for the next thing. I just wait for things to come. And when I, I feel it's a good idea, I move forward. Yeah. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, and wealth and um, we'll, uh, we'll go on from there. Sure. Yeah. So Ray Carvalho, I came to US 18 years ago from Brazil. You know, always worked for startups, never worked for a big company, never wanted to. Background in computers. I've been CTO for a long time, very technical, uh, both network and software, like all the, the, the areas. So I think that's a good mix for, for if you want to be a CTO. You can't know all, only one thing. So um, my first company here was called Finish Kiosk. Finish Kiosk based in Tempe, Arizona. We created kiosks um, before the before iPhones existed. You know, touchscreen kiosks, boarding pass, vending machines, those things. So that company was sold for a beer company. I worked for that beer company CTO in Tempe, and uh, and then I had uh, the idea about the millage. The idea came from a discussion with a friend, and and I say, well, how come nobody's using email as a good data point for fraud prevention online? Right. So if you apply for a credit card online or want to buy something at Best Buy, um, those companies, they need to understand who you are before they ship the product. Right. Usually credit cards, they lose $2,000 in average if they send the, um, the, the credit card for the wrong person. So oh, yeah, okay. it came from there. Yeah. So people like us they don't understand the issue. Uh, but at the end of the day, if there are fraud, if a company is like Visa, MasterCard is having fraud or Best Buy or Airlines, we are the ones paying back, right? So they lose a lot of money with fraud and they have to raise their price to recoup that money. So we, it's not transparent for the end user. You don't know that that exists. You don't know there's a bunch of things happening behind the scenes after you apply for a credit card or, or buy something online. So uh, email is came to uh, close that door of email. Like uh, people were using name, addresses, phone numbers, those things. And I thought email was the most important thing uh, because email is a, is a global identifier. Right, is linked to a person. You usually don't 
move or change emails, right? Right, because most of these fraud things are bots, right? They're, you know, kind of like these rapid fire kind of automations. A lot of them is uh, fraud ring, right? A lot of them are organized crime. Like, uh, you know, people there, okay, let's get uh, free shoes, all those free uh, Nike $10,000 shoes, right? Sneakers. So those are organized crime and and it's all over the world and only getting getting worse and worse. So that's how I created Image. Um, We successfully... We're able to attract customers. First customers were big companies, all kinds of different spaces. And then we got customers in Europe, in Australia. So we were very lucky with the company. We had had a great partner, had a great a team. Our team was amazing, based in Arizona, best of all, right? So we always had the VCs coming to us, trying to invest in us, even though we're cash flow positive all the time. Um, so it was it was a great thing. So that's my pass. Uh, life, right? So that's, I still love Image. They're doing an amazing job. They're still work with Alexis, amazing buyer. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're doing amazing. The solution, the, the technology is amazing. Today is a network effect base. So it, the, the system scores uh, email based on the, what is seen in the network, right? So it's not asking for nobody, uh, data, private data. So we sold it two years ago and I, I, I've been investing a lot. You know, we invest in a bunch of companies there. At least two of us invest in one of the companies in common. But I've been investing since 17. know a lot of VCs. I know how they always come to my office. I, I know the weakness. I know the touch points, the things they will say that they will say, I mean, that's not a good thing. So I, I, I learn how to say things that they will create water in their eyes, right? So I would never say something and say, well, that's amazing. I want to invest in you. So I, I was able to master that kind of a communication with them. So that's kind of what I'm using now. So um, I think uh, investing is amazing. Uh, you talk to CEOs all the time. In my case, when I sold the business, I didn't stay one day in the business. I, it, there was nowhere now that everything was, you know, uh, I was out of the, out of work. March 17, actually March 18 was the worst day of uh, COVID two years ago. Everybody was working from home. So I stayed home like everybody, but I didn't have anything else to do. Everybody started uh, stay working remotely. So uh, like I said, I, I don't try to force things. I, when I, I think everybody thinks before COVID even, oh, the work should stop for a month so I can catch up. And right. that was kind of a, what happened to me? Everything stopped and I would start playing catch up with my uh, personal stuff. And that's when I uh, came uh, with the idea with Wealth. Uh, Wealth is a, is a platform for estate planning and finan- personal financial management. Um, it came from my own needs. Uh, I use a bunch of banks, a bunch of, uh, like everybody, we have crypto, we have all kinds of different things. In the past, you have big banks that will offer all those services to you. So if you need something, a car loan or a home mortgage, you go to one of those big banks. Today, Things are pulverized, right? So you can get a loan from other companies. You can get crypto. You can trade money. Um, so, uh, so for that reason, people was kind of kind of lo- uh, lose control of what they have. Like, uh, oh, I have crypto. I have a couple hundred thousand dollars. Does your wife know? What if you die? Who's gonna right. die? Right. Maybe you have crypto, but uh, where is that? What is this? You know. So that's kind of a. Uh, where um, where we are today in terms of I work. use crypto to hide money from my wife. Exactly. Did you die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if I die, she could have it, right? Yeah. But <laughs> she knows about it, right? So right. It, it was like a so she finished my uh, my life. You asked about myself. I actually more focused on investing. Well, I'm not a CEO. Uh, we I have co-founders. The, the idea came from 
bunch of people together, not only mine, three other co-founders, and they're the one running the day-to-day. I'm behind the scenes helping that company and helping other companies that I invested as well. I created a company called Bella Juju. If you go to bellajuju.com, it's my ventures company, invested in uh, all kinds of different uh, companies like uh, Kia, uh, drones, um, all, kinds of th- all kinds of different things, uh, things that make sense. Awesome. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, yeah, I mean, super, super interesting. Um, I, I guess my first question is, you know, it seems, and, and I'm, I'm assuming wealth is more of a B to C business to consumer type of application. Wealth has, we have a huge vision for the, the product, right? We can't disclose a lot of them, but we are starting in a bit of C. Of course, is the end, end user is the consumer, but we're starting offering to as a, a employee benefit. So if you have a company, you offer your employees some um, some benefits. Well, we want to provide you that solution so you can provide your employees so they can be they can have better control over their finances, better control over their their state. Oh, I don't, I don't, I'm not rich. I don't need state plan. Yeah, you do need. Right? We all know someone that died from COVID recently. There's always some issues with the, with the death. Not only with the you're not only you know sad because the person uh, died, but also there's sadness on the fights and this and this mm-hmm. guy and this and that. So I think if you have a if you're married or planning to get married or if you have some money, if you're middle class and above, you should start thinking about who's gonna stay with my dog, who's gonna get my crypto, who's gonna do this. So um I think uh, for our companies it would be amazing to give that kind of a sense of a uh, control over their life coming from the company to the employee. Yeah, then, no. That's one, step one. And then uh, the reason why we came that step, it was there are some reasons for that I can't disclose, but but the, of course the the biggest um, the biggest goal for the company is to get as many users as possible, and and customer is the main. Yeah, and then customer acquisition is is probably a lot cheaper on a B two B two C model than just a B two C model. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and, and we know how to deal with B two B. We've done that a long time. We know how to talk to enterprise companies. Well, we, we're partners with the Visa, Mastercard, American Express. All, uh, pretty much all the airlines, uh, Experian, Fox, all these guys at the old company. So we know how to open the doors. Of course, opening the door is one step. I would say it's, it's a little step. The second step is providing something that works, that has value, right? So mm-hmm. if, we, if we were just pretty at the, at the village, it would get us in the door. But we should not, uh, we were not just pretty. We had the, we have essence. We had a really true value that will give uh, companies ROI because they're checking you every week. Every month, you know, every year. So with the with the wealth is not different. Like you need to provide something that's compelling, that sticks with the customer, that the employees will be happy. Whoever is using it is going to say, "Well, this is very um, useful." Not like a it's not morbid. We are not thinking about the death or anything. Think about you having control of your life. You you're in your family, and you, and everybody's goal in life is to progress and to get wealthy in terms of a. Family, health, and, and and as well as finances, and that's kind of what we're trying to bring to the table. Yeah, I mean, as a subscription revenue service, you continually have to be more than just a repository of documents. You have to continually add value, features, products, right, to have a great user experience. So, I mean, what's what I love about you, Ray, is that you know you're you're so driven by um, the the market needs and not so much about like certain types of technology. You went from a kiosk company, which was hardware and software. 
to an enterprise software company to now kind of a B2B to C that's got a, a huge consumer element to it. So how do you think about that and kind of like wrapping your head around these different types of go-to-market strategies and product strategies uh, going from one experience to another? It's uh, challenging, but it's the best part of it. I sincerely... I'm not the one running the business, but I, I'm part of the planning and the and before execution, there's always a planning behind. Um, I think uh, being the background of CTO, I like working with software products many, many times. And we had a kiosk company, company of people calling, Hey, I need to, I need a kiosk that will put in a pool company that will people put a water in their pool and then give me the results of what I need. So some crazy ideas, you know, before iPhone, there's, there was iPod and then we were selling to Best Buy kiosk where people can buy the iPod and plug in and buy the albums. Right. Mm -hmm. So those things help me shape, you know, validate and understand, you know, projects and what will work, what was not. Of course, we wanted to sell as many kiosks as possible. But I couldn't just say to the guy, hey, put the put the kiosk on the on the someone had this idea, this crazy idea. I want to put a kiosk on the strip club. I want someone to pick the music and play on the strip club. (laughs) Who doesn't want that? I want, you know, I'm paying for it. I want it. I want to pick the song. Of course, but, but but the question was, how do you pay? Oh no, you pay with credit card. Okay, but the, your wife is not going to be happy if you understand. There's a there's a charge in a strip club for whatever on, on a you know. So those kind of ideas, those things, I work with the, uh, the whole life working those kind of projects, like uh, validating working with the companies like Cisco, uh, U.S. Army. So I I I'm not afraid of any new stuff, and I understand how to get there, and I'm always coming in, in a way that you don't know much. Yeah. You, did come from a successful, previous successful company. Now is a completely different thing. So what things do I need to do to, to make sure that we're not making the mistakes thinking that we are the same? So I think that's the most important thing. I, I surround myself with uh, good uh, mentors. I never say that I know everything. And I do, I do believe that there's a growth there. And um, even people that already went through the B2C, if they go again for a B2C for another totally different product, it's a totally different game. Right, mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of a it's a it's a it's a plus. I think uh, also trusting the people around you, finding the best people. Uh, this is again, again, I have my uh, co-founders. They, I'm not the only guy there. I'm not running. They're the ones with the worst thing. We 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 have a huge roadmap, right? Like, in the product side, this is just the beginning you're seeing today. But uh, I think once you have, you know, okay, you come with something that's compelling, the state planning change the whole game, right? Like where things are not... You create a state plan, you go to the attorney, next day is already updated, right? So how, how can I create something that is goes with my life, right? So, okay, I moved from Arizona to Colorado. So you, something needs to be done that you need to update your state plan because Colorado has a different state laws than Arizona. So those things, people are afraid of talking to attorney, you know, and, and or maybe they don't have the money. And... And, and in that case, well, of course, going to be disrupting the market. But what we are going to offer in the future is going to be shocking. The, the, I think it's shocking everybody. It will be amazing. So for me, again, we're not going into this knowing everything. Don't think yeah. that I know everything. This is, again, new for me and for the team. But uh, I think the, the recipe will be don't be afraid and be humble. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, I want to unpack something you said, which I think is really, really interesting. And that's you know, talking to talking to venture capitalists and and running the gamut, having people show. I mean, I think that we all pretty much had the same talk track. We learned it in VC school about how much value we add and you know why why you should take our our, our money at a low price, right? And um, 
you know, how do you how do you pick a good uh, a good investor for you? Like, how, how what's the bullshit and what's what's real? How do you disseminate what's real and what's not? Well, a dollar is a dollar, no matter where you get from. Uh, what else can they add besides the money, right? So if you get if you get exactly the same term sheets and you have to make a decision, uh, I would say um, it depends on the environment. I, I don't have a, a, an answer that will fit every every question, but every situation. But um, for whatever your company is needing for the next, for that particular moment, that's that's where you got to make a decision on. So some people say, "Well, look." I want to get the, from this big company because everybody knows them will be good for me, right? So what is going to be good for you? The brand behind you? Are they going to be not maybe probably too busy for you because they're a big company? They have many other people to deal with, you know? So some people, some CEOs I see, they want to lean towards the bigger guys, right? Even they even leave someone in the table or the worst term sheets to go to the brand. And I think that's a big mistake. So I think probably those guys can be the best, but depending on your stage of the company. If company startup, you're a different stage every year that goes by. If you're doubling, tripling, 10x every year, you're not the same company every other year. You're not the same company every year. So for that particular moment, who is the best for you? So in my case, I built a syndicate in my Series A where I picked, I needed the access to the Bay Area. A lot of companies want to make the move to Bay Area. A lot of VCs say, oh, you got to come here. What are you doing in Arizona? That was back in 2013. So yeah, I understand that back in the day, people did not invest outside Bay Area and other places, right? So Bay Area, New York, probably Utah um, or, or Southern California, not even Southern California. But my point was, look, I, I'm from Brazil. I understand there is some sort of a, you know, you don't want to invest outside. And I understand there's kind of a, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, it was not a discrimination against Arizona, but people would think, well, there's not a lot of CEOs and companies coming from Arizona back in the day. Mm-hmm. And actually, the reason was because people were moving outside, moving mm-hmm. to the air because the investor put as a condition. In my case, I say, I'm not going to move it. I'm going to stay in Arizona unless you give me a reason for me to be here, right? Because there in Arizona, we have uh, it's cheaper, uh, you know, there's loyalty, people stay, and we have big companies in the company, in, 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 a, in the state. We have Big uh, American Express, there's PayPal, there's a bunch of people that you can get source people from, GoDaddy. So I decided to not. So I got a lot of no's because I didn't want to move. I stayed in Arizona and and I created a syndicate. The syndicate was to help me what I most needed that day, which was to get data, open doors at the in big companies in Bay Area, like data companies like at Google, Yahoo, or this guy. So I handpicked each one of those people. We got guys from LinkedIn, Google, Yahoo, CTO for Yahoo investing in us. So that was great for us to expand the business for that particular stage. So the companies that say no to me because I didn't want to move to the Bay Area, then they crawled to me and say, Ray, we're investing in our Arizona. <laughs> so it was, I, I, I never close the doors. I always say, okay, I get it. Maybe there was a mandate, mandate for, for their stuff, so for, the, for their funds. So that's kind of a, the story why Arizona it was the best place. We never needed to move anywhere and we, we thrived in Arizona. That's why we have wealth in there now. Yeah. And so when you did a, um, when you did your Series B, that was Anthos Capital out of Los Angeles, right? And that was Santa Monica, they're Santa Monica based, real kind of stealth VC firm. I was just talking to Ed Wilson the other day. Uh, he's starting a new fund. And he, uh, you know, it, it was very, very like, you know, generalist fun. They do stuff outside of software, very, um, 
you know, I think they've done like energy drinks, you know, restaurants, you know, anything that makes a lot of money. But I believe they have a really great track record and they invested in your in wealth as well, correct? So we weren't uh, actively fundraising for Series B. Of course, I was afraid of uh, some sort of a market downturn, market downturn at that point. Um, because I was always involved with the VCs, they always, you know, I used the, uh, you know, everybody they wanted to come to, to the office, we could just talk. Like every time that we have, we had an event, we would always sit down with these guys. I'll give them an update, not giving too much about the, the company, but they will all be super excited, right? And then my other side, the reason why I wanted to play that game was not against the VC guys. I know a lot of them now, but for me, it would be a lead generation. I'll tell the VC, look, I don't need the money. Would you take uh, your money if you were me? Like I, a lot of them say, no, of course, maybe. So I'll tell them, uh, well, connect me to one of your company. And I will usually go to their site and see that they invest somewhere. I say, hey, open the door for this guy. Connect the CEO. I want to talk to him. And then we connect our teams down there. Then they start using us. And then you ask them how we're doing instead of asking me. So because if you might get a biased uh, answer from me, but then you ask them because they're not our customer. Another reason why I wanted to talk to them, so that had worked well, uh, would be for if they believe they are investing in us, they are not going to invest in a potential competitor. So if they believe there is like a raise, be amazing, he's probably going to say yes to my, if I provide him a term sheet. And if they believe that if there's a second player, uh, we're kind of shielding them from going there, right? Um, and a third thing is I believe in, a, in a, you know, the positive talking, right? So people see that everything's positive. You like the, the, the way the company is doing, if you're giving them something, then that's going to be spread out. It's harder to spread positive things. I know it's, it's harder than bad things, but it does, it does spread out really fast, especially in the VC side. So for that reason, of my talking to them and opening the doors, on, on, they were helping me all back and forth with all their teams, not only leads. Um, I got a bunch of preemptive term sheets for my Series B. So I, I, was, I was telling guys, guys, I gave you something. But I'm not fundraising. And then we got uh, more than five preemptive tensions. And Antos, I got to know this guy. I say, who the fuck is Antos? You know, who are these guys? And, mm-hmm. But that's how they play their game. And that is still today. And those guys had the most aggressive, the most, you know, um, they brought so much value to the business. It was not only Antos, Antos and Radiant Capital. Mm-hmm. Radian was uh, is Jordan Batman that started from uh, he, he was uh, the youngest uh, vice uh, partner at the Bank Capital in New York. So I say, well, look, uh, Intos came with me. This super open minded thing, like, but with, with a lot of uh, different things they're going to bring into the table because we need maturity. And they they they, they it was not about the money. Uh, also, it was not about the branding. So we we had some huge companies coming to us with term sheet. So I say no to all of them when with Anthos because I believe that they told us what I wanted to hear. So sometimes you get people say, oh, I can connect you to this and that. So connection wasn't that important to me anymore because I already had a bunch of... But the, what else can I be doing that I can take the company to the next level? Like on the... So people talking about repricing, talking about expansion, uh, talking about uh, um, sales strategy. So that was the thing that I wanted to hear at that time. You know, so when I heard those things from this guy, I said, well, these guys are the best. And then that was it. These guys, um, up today, I'm, I'm LP in their fund. They are sincerely, they're not into, uh, putting out their PRs or anything like that. They're behind the scene. They say, well, Ray, you don't need to do PR if you don't want it. We don't care. Right. right. So it, it, the guys from Goldman Sachs, Paul and, um, Brian, 
Brian Kelly and Paul Farr, brilliant guys. They, they are just uh, running the right company. And they, like you say, they invest all around. If they believe in the company and the product and, and, and the founders, they will invest no matter what you do. One of the companies they invested on now is a temporary tattoo. You, tap, you make a tattoo, it lasts for a year. So that's just crazy stuff that they do. And that's, that's nice. Yeah, they're for sure out-of-the-box thinkers. So yeah, I mean, I, I totally concur. I mean, everybody touts their network. Right. And like, you know, at the end of the day, I can't force a portfolio company of mine to buy somebody else's software. Right. All I can do is just introduce, you know. Um, and so the network thing is, you know, I know it's in the connection. It's probably the thing most talked about, but one of the things that probably is not at the end of the day, the most valuable after close. The most valuable thing you can get is um, word of mouth. Like I think when you talk about network effect, everybody says that today. But in our case, because we're working with this scoring, it's just like a credit scoring. There is a network effect in credit scoring. We have a network effect in our recent scoring as well. Um, in our case, the word of mouth where you provide the service to Lyft, and then you know that Lyft, if they are successful, they're going to talk to just example companies, right? So they will talk to others. They will also want it. So... I think getting the door from the, the book is great. You got to connect, connect, but it doesn't do, it doesn't do everything. Okay, because usually, typically, people are busy. They have a lot of vendors coming to them all the time. So coming from the top give you the open door. But the the biggest thing is like, guys, we work with ninety percent of your space. We work with all those money transfer companies. You're the only one outside of it. If you're if you're the only one outside this network effect, you're the one that frauds are going to most, right? So, but anyways. Uh, I got a lot of help from VCs. I, I'm, I'm, so I learned a lot from them and how to help other companies, how to help other CEOs. There are VCs that talk to, like I said, like Antos and Radian. They come and say, well, Ray, at your stage now, I believe you have these problems. And that was great to hear. It was not like a generic guy. We have this network and we can help you here and there. They will say, oh, look, these guys are in this stage. And I think this stage, because I know you and I know, I know this company, Companies in this space, I know fintech, I know fraud. I think for you to get here to there, you got to do all those things. And then you say, wow, that's great thing. That's great inside. And, and, and that was actually the reason why we say no to everybody, say it went with them. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, after closing, it's off. One thing is telling you one thing, the other thing is executing by helping us get to where they told us we should. So that was all brilliant. The way that they act, uh, they were extension of the company. They work on my C-level. I think some people on the C-level might think, that, oh, this guy's going to fire me. They kind of get insecure, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, we're bringing these guys now. They're putting money. They have their own people. I'm not sure. There's two, two ways people can think. They must, I'm a C-level. They might, might think, well, look, uh, it's great. It's going to be added value to the company. We're going to reuse these guys. Oh, he has a CRO helper. Let's talk to this guy to help us with the pricing. And there's the other guy that will say, well, look, I don't like it. I make the decisions. Don't get away from me, this guy. So I try to avoid those things. I'll bring all my C-level to all board meetings. And I, you know, my, my CTO will talk to my, one of my uh, investors, CTO every month. And, and I will ask him, if you don't see any value, let me know. Just tell this guy to go away because we're not seeing value. And that never happened. Mm-hmm. They were always able to bring it. Yeah. So, so how important is it to you um, at emailage when you were selecting your Series B investor uh, that they were former operators and CEOs versus just venture capitalists? 
um, you don't you don't find a lot of those. Uh, like a, even CEOs that already had successful companies, they they haven't gone through a successful company uh, on the fintech, on the fraud space, the super right. fraud space that right. space in Arizona that's global. You right. know, that's <laughs> yeah. is poor, you know, so everything is different. Like uh, some people say, "Oh, this guy already found it." Like like myself, or, oh, because I I did well with the millage doesn't mean that I'm going to do well with the wealth, right? So I think completely different things, completely different behavior. I'm learning a lot still. Even though not operating the business, but um, uh, but I, I do believe that cutting corners is important. You should get somebody that can tell you you may have problems here. You gotta be careful with scaling because everybody says that. Be careful, you're ready with scaling, and you get afraid. Of scale. Is that a bad thing? Is, is that a hard thing to go through? The scaling, I don't get it. But they should be saying scaling is a problem because if we go from ten to a hundred. There's going to be. Uh, there's going to be political issues internally. There's going to be all these people. One day is amazing. The other day, everybody wants to leave. There's problems with your co-founder. There's So I think uh, it does make difference when your CEO had, uh, can provide you that kind of information. Because for a CEO, for some founders, you spend you know 20, 20 hours of your day and no weekends working for this company. Sometimes it affects your family and, and even your health. And I know a lot of CEOs that's kind of, Ray, you, you told me something and that I'm going through it. I didn't want to talk to you because they don't want to open that with the VC because the insecurity will say that is going to be a weakness. Weakness, right. So mm-hmm. Automatically, when I talk to the CEO, I say, well, look, you might, may have a problem with this and this and that. You, yeah, Ray, we're having this problem. I didn't want to say, oh, there's guys killing me at that uh, glass door. What do you do? Okay, hold on. Right. Focus on your doing good stuff. Those guys are going to go away. You know, don't don't, for, don't don't reply. Let them stay there. If you did a mistake, try to fix it. You know, if you were too hard on people, don't be that way. Be be nice. So I think uh, it, 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 it's not a it's not a recipe. I think uh, being a CEO as a VC and automatically being adding to you more doesn't mean that you're going to get more than than somebody that hasn't operated a company. Sure. No, absolutely. So now you're executive chairman. You're working a lot with strategy. Is it hard for you to let go of the reins on the day-to-day operations and not being the guy? Well, I trust the people that we have. So I've worked with them in the past. Um, so it is. I think uh, when, it's just like a, the reason why I sold my business and I, I didn't stay one day with the business because I... I um, I had a decentralized company. It was not all on me coming in. And when I say that, it's not just... Uh, Certain certain things like a well, the way I would run the business would be guys you have you're still level you have your own stuff a plan with your team bring to company bring to the management meeting we agree with everything talk to the board present that quarterly the quarterly report goes from all the data you collect and present to your people so there's no surprise to anybody the data that you collect all the way down the bottom your your tech support guy already know what the plan is of hiring next year. You bring to the management, everybody sign off, and then you bring to the board, everybody sign off, and then you bring it back to the company. And say, hey guys, this is the plan for the next year. So it's clear for everybody in a way that I wasn't the one presenting sales, I wasn't the one presenting this and that. So when the buyer came, they understand that Ray was important building the team, but we can survive without him because all these people know what they do. They have to do and all those things. So I think uh, I believe in, in that concept. And so that's what we're using with the vault. I'm not the central part. Of course, one of the guys that came with the idea, but uh, in, in the vision, because we have some steps to go through. But I truly believe in the team that I have. It's just like a VC. You gotta, if you invest in a company, you gotta trust the founders. I hate those VCs. I don't think they exist anymore, but 
the VCs that will replace CEOs and say, okay, if you fail a few times, you're going to be fired. That shouldn't work today. You can't do this kind of a hard transplant. So you should invest on the, on, on the founders. So, and then uh, understand that they have to do, they have the skills and, and, and the power and all this stuff to do what, whatever they told you they're going to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, 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 you can't replace a founder. I mean, I've come to the conclusion from doing it wrong previously is, you know, at other firms is that, you know, it's just not worth it unless the founder is like literally doing something criminal, right? Like, you know, like sexually harassing like an employee or, you know, like being violent or something. Because the problem is, is the company's not usually at that stage super valuable, right? And you have to have somebody that's so incredibly, ins- and not to mention like just the, inhumaneness of doing that and like, you know, killing someone's baby, right? But the, the, you just do, you, there's an, a misalignment in incentive, right? When you pull out a founder, like who's going to work that hard, right? You know, and all the, all the talent is either an early stage or late stage. There's no one that really wants to run like mid market companies or like, you know, like, you know, without comp not being uh, completely out of whack. Well, there's always going to be those uh, missed, you know, um, uh, you miss on the diligence, all this stuff. You believe that the person was one way or the other. It's always going to happen. Right. But, but I think the premise of a VC should be those, are, those guys are amazing. They have a product and there is a market for the product. So those guys are amazing. did all this stuff. I asked all the questions I needed. And I invest in these guys to do what I believe they can do. Like they got, um, if you talk about growth, this guy's got the company where it is today. If you talk about early stage, yeah, I don't know much. They still have a lot to prove, but it's still, it still should be on trust of the founders, right? Try to, mm-hmm. try to, you, you're going to miss some, but I think the trusting what they can do is like, you can't invest, put money in somebody's hand. If you have a slight, I don't, I don't like something's on this guy and yeah. you still going forward with it. That's your mistake. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. And you're like, oh, but the growth, oh, it looks so great. Look at the margins. But the guy said something that's a huge red flag, and it's shame on you at the end of the day because yeah. everything comes out in the wash, right? Um, so now you're a venture capitalist. Tell me what's exciting you right now in the marketplace. What are you looking for? Uh, kind of like what's your check size? How do you think about all that? Sure. You know, we invested the uh, last last fourteen months about twenty million dollars. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's kind of a aggressive. I'm I'm very anxious. Like I can say I wanted to move as fast as possible. I think, uh, but but of course, I'm at the same time. I'm very critical. I don't do any. I try to not do any mistakes. Make sure everything's. You know, I'm not leading anything. I'm following people that I trust. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of investment in funds. I'm connected to all my investors, like a, as an investor in them. Uh, I invest back on my investors. So that's how I love these guys. Uh, but also. Um, very pro- progr- uh, you know, proactively looking for good stuff, right? Uh, I'm not investing in fraud. I can't because of my, my deal with the, with the pre- previous company. And I'm not a, my background is not in fraud at all. So my background is in computers and science and those things. So in technology. But uh, if I come across and come from somebody that I really trust that can do a, that will do amazing diligence, that, that will see those things that I told you about, that will see in the eye of the founder. That's going to be a great company. This guy has great ideas and then he's, he has all the stuff that, that, that can execute the business. I will just follow those companies. So there's a lot of, uh, um, you know, uh, um, things that's happening in Brazil. Like I said, I'm Brazilian. Um, so I, there's the fintech exploded here. 
started 10 years ago or more, a little bit more, and then, and then uh, Europe, and then uh, later in Southeast Asia and in South America, including Mexico. So those guys are behind. So the, the explosion that we saw here is, is happening there. So it's good to be there when things are exploding. And kind of a... I talked to a lot of CEOs there. I participated in one of the funds there, but I invest directly. I'm investing in a drone company. Like I'm leading the Series A for that drone company we're launching this week. By next week, we're going to close the deal. Uh, that company is in Brazil? Yeah, it's called Speedbird. Uh, Speedbird Aero. So they, um, they're they the first to have a license from the government. Usually drone companies, they, they're great. Everybody wants to invest a few years ago, but then today, they're still in the hands of the government to allow those drones to fly. Mm-hmm. So that step they passed, being the first one in South America to get the, and they're already flying, they're delivering stuff. And we are now selling, selling more and more drones, uh, taking orders and, and the building. When we build the drones there, all the IoT, everything is there. It's all automated, a men drone. So it's, a, it's an amazing. I know the founders, so I know they can, what they can do. And I know the market. Brazil is hard on logistics, uh, and, and it's huge, 200 million people. Uh, there's a huge need there. And but the product can be also global. They were just in Israel. They just got a, a certificate in Israel. So I'm all over the place. So it just needs to make sense. I'm not uh, promiscuously putting money, deploying money. Needs to be needs to make a lot of sense. And I guess I I, uh, I I'm using a lot of my trust in my my co co uh, co investors. Yeah, no, it's always good to, you know, go along because they see a lot of great stuff. I mean, they're in the business of looking at stuff and, you know, a deal is only looks as good as the stuff that's around it. Yes. Um, but I see, uh, I see a ton of, of influx of capital going into South America. Um, it's, it's great. Yeah. Look, um, I saw when, like I said, the companies were investing mostly companies in Bay Area, New York, and, and then that expanded. Because there's so much money in the VC world and PE world, they had to go outside of a, their norm, right? So then they start coming to Arizona, investing companies. They start expanding outside of those, those areas. And then now they're going outside the U.S. because there's so much money available, not a lot of deals. Everybody's looking for that gold nugget. There are amazing companies uh, outside there. And like I said, um, they're not, a lot of times they're not doing something that's uh, genuine. Uh, from from a problem there, it's actually things that happen here. They're copying and it's happening there. Payment processors, right? Uh, all kinds of different things that worked here, and then why why can't it work there? And the, you can see a lot of opportunities there happening this way. So a lot of companies they invest in companies here this way, like a Zipcar, and then there's the same Zipcar company in Brazil called Turbi. So if you work here, why can't it work there? You know, look. Uh, so I I believe that. Um, not everything can be transplanted. You know, every country has its own stuff. There's the regulation side of things and all this stuff. So I cannot be dumb enough to think that something is going to work here is going to work there. So I have that kind of a angle that usually people don't because I'm Brazilian. I was raised there that people can say, oh, let's go to Brazil. It will be easy as here. They don't have right. the technology. It's not going to work. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a venture capitalist um, yesterday and he was telling me that, um, you know, specifically later stage SPAC type deals that he's going out and literally for a financing, like selling IP and licenses and royalties to the Chinese as a way to finance the company. Is there like, you're going to rip it off there? And they're thinking is like, you're going to rip it off anyway. Why don't you at least sell it? Right. So, and, uh, and they, you know, they correlate that with, you know, a pipe and they put that in the SPAC and then they get this royalty from the, the software. 
And I was like, God, that's the kind of like selling to the enemy though, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's against like the American capitalist. Yeah, that's the only way to get in there. So yeah, we had some customers in China and like, they use it for some time and they go away and do their own stuff. So it's tough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, you know, this is, I try to keep this as an evergreen um, type of show, but I think I would be remiss to say that we're in the just finishing the first quarter of 2022, and there's been a great big pullback in the capital markets and growth stocks, and um, you know, and the repricing of that. There's a lot of uncertainty with the war going on in Ukraine. How do you think about that when you're investing in early stage and going from a zero interest rate environment to a higher interest rate environment, and you know, calculating multiples? Yeah, look, um, as part of your investment, you got to understand. There's a bunch of things you, you won't see everything, but one of the things you gotta understand is will this company survive on a downturn? Okay, if if not, uh, like uh, you know, might not be a good way for you to, a place for you to invest because anything can happen. It may may happen, may not. Like a, a bad bad thing, like in 2008. I Phoenix Kiosk, the company I had in Tempe, went through the 2008 uh, crisis. It was it was not easy. Companies calling saying we're gonna cancel this and that. So, however, I believe that. Um, if you do believe the company can survive and 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 uh, and uh, whatever resource they have, uh, a downturn can can pose as an opportunity, right? You can you maybe there's going to be a cleansy on your space, so people can't. Those companies that are trying to compete with you go away because they can't survive. And then if you're surviving, it's ten times better for you. When the market goes up, you go up the market. So I, I believe uh, there, there's an opportunistic view of. Uh, this kind of thing, I think this kind of things, I think the VCs are having this kind of uh, thinking that the uh, same, same way. I think there's a lot of money in the space, but they, um, they, they, nobody's putting money to lose it. They got to make sure that the company will be successful. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Nobody, yeah. Nobody's in the business of losing money. Right. Yeah. So, like a, an example, Brazil is in a recession. It has been in a recession for more than five years now. Uh, so, but it, that's another reason for you to invest in there because now you're going to, on, on a, Place where things are really low, and hoping that things are going to get better at some point. So, I think that can be, like I say, I see that as an opportunity, but I don't think that's a, a, a bad thing. Um, as far as companies raising money, um, there's still a lot of money committed to uh, VCs and PEs. I don't think that mo- that money will go, go away soon. I think there's, I see companies raising 500 and they wind up closing at the one billion on their funds. So it's still a little crazy, uh, but um, it's when this, those things happen, you cannot just be a company that will be nice uh, without having a, a clear path of how to mitigate the issue. I remember one company in Arizona was going through some sort of issues like this, and it, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's nobody has crystal ball. You gotta, you gotta make sure that you are, you have a product that can be profitable. You can, you can, you have a plan of attack. If you, okay, if you lower your your costs with, uh, with people and resources. How can you go through all twelve months, twenty four months of a in a guerrilla mode? You know, so I think uh, I think those things are you know uh, one thing that I don't believe in is like oh you gotta you gotta retract. That's kind of a one thing that I did for my Series B. I was afraid that the downturn was going to happen at that point because it was ten years, and and then said so, well look I'm afraid so I'm not going to open Singapore or Australia or not taking those investments. So you can't run a business based on what's, what you think is going to happen in the future, like a, because it may not ever happen. And then your competitor will pass you and then 
buy buy for you. You know, yeah, you can't have a mentality of scarcity, and you can't not invest, right? I mean, you're, there's the opportunity cost is is too high. Um, so I think wealth is super exciting. How I kind of think of it, there was a company, I'm not even sure if it's still around, but it was a really cool company. The business model, I think, was a little like bait and switchy. But do you remember um, Personal Capital? Yeah. <laughs> Where they, they integrate with all your banks and your brokerages and they would give you like a comprehensive dashboard, but then you'd get a call from a guy wanting to manage your assets. <laughs> so we, 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 we work with banks data, you know, if you're working with big banks and, and airlines and big companies, they're providing their customer data to you. So you got to be careful what you do with it. Super secure, never sell data. Wealth is the same thing. The, the people that we have in place, they understand that we'll never sell data. We'll never sell ads. We're never going to be the company saying, hey, you, we see that you have a Capital One card. Here's a Citibank card with a lower interest. Right. We'll never be that kind of company, right? So, so one of the things, the reason why we have wealth.com is the trust factor. So when you see that somebody invests money in that domain, you have a company called Wealth, and you have people that we hired that who take care from day one, how you encrypt the database, how we're going to provide data back to the customer. So we will never... Um, that kind of a situation where you explain about personal capital is like, a, okay, I want to use this. And then they reuse the data to for their own benefit to sell it or to sell their services. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we will never do that. And it's a bad look, right? I mean, it's... It is. Like a, it is not... But but it it's not something new. Like uh, you have companies where give you credit score for free, but then you get ads and all this stuff, and then they know your credit score, and then they show you the credit card companies that will, that will accept you, and then you click there, they make some money. So nothing against it. The companies survive, and they're big companies that live from there. But our goal in wealth is to make sure that we have a trust factor because now we know their family, we know his state, we know his uh, um, his wealth, and we will never do anything that will compromise that trust that they say, well, look, I have all my stuff here. I know I'm taking care if something happens and, and, and well, we're going to go to hand. They're not selling me this and that. So uh, I sincerely think for us, this wouldn't work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that by the way, is a monster domain purchase. Wealth.com. That's pretty, that's pretty serious. Good job. Well, yeah, I think uh, we, couldn't, we couldn't come across a better name than this. No, the domain was available, so we had to we had to go through the process of, of purchasing it, uh, the painful process of purchasing the domain. And uh, but but it is what it is. I think uh, hopefully I don't think people will use service because of their domain. You gotta have a quality. You gotta have yeah. some something in it. Uh, I think that's we we know internally. As you can see, we are not talking about the wealth.com much. We are even talking about ourselves as well. Our company is called Wealth Inc. So. Yeah, it's it's an amazing. Uh, we, this space is amazing because there's trillions and trillions of dollars passing from one generation to the other, and people more than ever need some sort of a visibility control and generations. There is taxes, there is insurance, all this stuff that we wanted to make sure people are seamless, seamless, like without having to do a lot to have full control of their lives. Awesome. Ray, thank you so much for coming in. Um, we'll definitely have you back on the show when, uh, you know, wealth unicorns uh, <laughs> should be what, like 18 months? We'll see.
Yeah. Okay. Everybody, thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack, where we talk to entrepreneurs, investors, and operators about all things value creation and startups. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. We're on all the major platforms, YouTube, Spotify, and iTunes. Just do my name, David Paul, or the Capital Stack. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Capital Stack Podcast. Make sure to share this with someone you know that can benefit from this content. Remember to support this show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. David Paul is the founder and general partner at DWP Capital. All opinions expressed by David and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of DWP Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. David and guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed on this podcast.